You are listening to Episode 9 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 24, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 11th. Around 0900, after a bit of quiet soul-searching of my own and a brief kick in my own behind for being an idiot, I went down to the mess deck to find the chief and Mr. Paul finishing up the degreasing of the galley. Did anyone get breakfast, Mr. Paul? He looked startled by the question. Not that I'm aware of, Captain. The excitement started and then just kept going until you showed up. I sighed and scrubbed my face in my hands. Okay, priorities, Mr. Paul. Feed the crew. Do we have anything left from breakfast? He looked around a bit bewildered. All I saw was the bacon. What was supposed to be here, Skipper? The menu called for bacon, scrambled eggs, juice, toast, and some of that honey melon that came up yesterday from the chandlery. He pulled the handle on the ready cooler and all the rest of the ingredients for breakfast were in there. He held the door wide so I could see. Can you scramble an egg, William? Captain? Some people can't. I'm just checking. Can you scramble an egg? No. Can you scramble, say, a dozen? There's a skillet under the counter there and bowls above the work counter. Whisks in the drawer with the spatulas, which you've already found. Can you handle it? Of course, Skipper. Chief Gearhart surprised me. Can I help him, Skipper? Well, that's up to him, Chief, but sure. Many hands make light work. I heard footsteps in the passage and turned to see Miss Thomas coming back from breakfast. She nodded to me somewhat sleepily, I thought, and continued up to officer country. Not long after that, Wyatt and Schubert returned from the medical station. Wyatt had a light salve on one cheekbone, but Schubert's hands were wound with bandages, and I got a very sinking feeling. I pointed to the chairs. Sit, gentlemen. You've had a busy morning. They sat. I nodded to Mr. Schubert first. This doesn't look good, Spacer. What's the status? He held up his wrapped hands and twisted them with an oddly bemused expression on his face. I don't think it's as bad as it looks, Skipper. They got a little carried away with the dressing. I was kind of counting on you for helm this afternoon, Mr. Schubert. He shrugged and rested his wrists on the edge of the table. Shouldn't be a problem, sir. I only need my fingers, really, so I can feel the helm. I think with a little help I can probably free enough of them to do what I need. What did the medico say, Mr. Schubert? Light duty, three days. You get us out, we'll keep you covered, Mr. Schubert. Can do, Skipper. He was way too chipper for a man with burns on his hands. Mr. Schubert, please pardon my talking around you, but Mr. Wyatt, did they drug him? No, Captain, not that I'm aware of, and they briefed me on his condition. Three days light duty, he's got a tube of goop in his pocket, and they gave us some spare dressings. Wyatt held up a bag. Thank you, Mr. Wyatt. I looked back at Mr. Schubert. You seem pretty chipper for a man with burned palms, Mr. Schubert. It's really not that bad, Skipper. I tried to tell him at the aid station it was red but not deep. I've been burned before. This didn't even blister. They were acting like I had smoked hams on my wrists. Mr. Wyatt nodded in confirmation. It's true, Captain. I saw his hands before they started working on him. I think they had a training day down there or something, because the candy striper working on him seemed to think he was all but dead. How did you get away with a little soft, Mr. Wyatt? Mr. Wyatt shrugged. The corpsman working on me didn't think I was cute enough for him, perhaps, Captain. Enlightenment comes slowly sometimes, but it is usually worth the effort. I begin to see, Mr. Wyatt. Thank you for that extra bit of information. He grinned. You're welcome, Captain. Mr. Schubert, they should have some scrambled eggs and toast ready in a moment or two. Are you ready for breakfast? Yes, Captain, I am. Okay, hang in there. Should be but a couple of shakes. Chief Gerhardt, Mr. Paul, can I count on you to take care of Mr. Schubert here? Feed him up and send him to bed? Mr. Paul looked up from the pan of eggs he was stirring. 
Of course, Captain. Chief Gerhardt nodded her silent confirmation. Mr. Wyatt, if you're up to it, could you join me in the cabin? Of course, Captain. We climbed the ladder to officer's country, and I pointed to the conference table. Have a seat, Mr. Wyatt. I'm ready for your report. I sat at the head, and he took what I assumed must be his normal seat on the port side foot. We were running a bit late on breakfast, but I wanted to make sure the bacon was cooked thoroughly, Captain. He stopped and looked at me for reassurance. I looked up how to cook it, and I was pretty sure I had it right. I put it on a raised rack in the oven with a pan under it to catch the drippings. The smell was amazing, and everybody but Mr. Hill and Mr. Ricks was in the galley waiting for breakfast. I don't know what went wrong, because all of a sudden, things started smelling burnt. I opened the door, pulled out the pan, and poof! The flame just came right up in my face. I nodded encouragingly. Well, sir, Mr. Schubert was there almost before I got straightened up, and he grabbed another roaster from the rack and dropped it upside down on the flames. It snuffed the fire, but it was still smoldering pretty good. He went to grab it, and of course the pan was blazing hot. He got it just far enough for it to clear the range before he dropped it. By then, all we really had was a lot of smoke, and Chief Gerhardt went down to crank up the scrubbers a couple of notches while the rest of us watched Miss Thomas. His report petered out a bit at that. Thank you, Mr. Wyatt. I'm so sorry, Captain. This was all my fault. He looked positively miserable. Mr. Wyatt, if this is the worst thing that happens on this ship, we're going to be in very good shape. Take the lesson and be thankful the cost wasn't higher. If that burning fat had spilled onto your clothes, we'd have been canceling this trip while we waited for a replacement cargo officer. He blanched. I've learned a lesson or two myself this morning, Mr. Wyatt, so don't beat yourself up too badly. When the skipper changes, especially on a crew this size, the whole ship changes, and I'm not slipping in quietly. There's a lesson in there for me, but it'll probably be a while before I figure out what it is. He seemed a bit mollified. If you say so, Captain. I do, Mr. Wyatt. And what I need you to do now is to go get something to eat. We've got a date in Welliver. He smiled at that and nodded his thanks. Dismiss, Mr. Wyatt. Save me some toast. He left, and I crossed to my desk. The console there was the same as any on the bridge. At least I didn't have to remove the block that prevented me from looking at any of the ship's status displays that I wanted. There was one more display here than I'd ever seen on any console, and a little digging showed it to be local to the device in the cabin. It was the captain's log. I thumbed through it quickly and saw nothing that caught my eye. Delman's log style was sparse to the point of terseness, with bare minimum notations on ship's status, crew, ports, and so on. Oh, yeah, record-keeping. I'd forgotten about that part. I checked the captain's inbox and found all the reports and documents that would need my review and approval before they could be put away. I groaned and closed my eyes against the tide of unread reports. Well, we'd be underway in a few stands. There'd be plenty of time underway to deal with the backlog. A little voice in the back of my head told me there'd be a whole new batch to deal with by then, and I told it to pipe down. I swapped back out to make sure the flight plan had been approved and that the tug was on schedule for 1,500 pullout. It all looked good, and I went in search of a piece of toast and a cup of coffee. What I found at the bottom of the ladder was a rather worse-for-wear-looking Mr. Hill being held up by a pair of orbital security guards. Mr. Paul was with them, and he nodded apologetically. These nice officers brought us a present, Captain. Mr. Hill, I thought I wasn't going to have any problems with you. Not my fault, Captain. I believed him, but I don't for the life of me know why. I looked to the security men. Gentlemen, 
We found him in an alcove down on 05, Skipper. He'd been pretty well rolled. We got the images on the security cams, but... He gave a one-shouldered shrug. Hoods and masks. Not random. And as much fun as we've had with this rascal in the past, I'd have to agree. Not his fault. Medical? Been there. He's got a few bruises. Nothing seriously broken. There's a bandage under his arm there where one of them kicked him, but it's a scrape. Can you walk, Brandon? Yes, Captain. It's not as bad as it looks. I'm getting kind of tired of hearing that this morning, Mr. Hill. Go lay down. We'll call you for navigation detail. He turned and shambled into crew quarters. I looked back at the two guards. Your opinion, gentlemen? They looked at each other and shrugged. Nothing official, Skipper. Well, of course not, but what's your guess? The taller one shrugged and looked down at his feet. Karma, Skipper. Past sins coming home to roost, eh? They both nodded. The short one tugged an earlobe. You can't play games on the lock for as long as these boys have and not pick up a few scores that aren't quite final, if you know what I mean, Captain. I nodded. Thank you, gentlemen. I do indeed. Mr. Paul showed them off the ship, and I turned to go into the galley. It was small consolation, but I now had plenty to write about in the captain's log. In a way, I envied Delman's lack of narrative, but then had to wonder if it were the case that he didn't have anything to write about, or if he just hadn't bothered. Chapter 25, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 11th. I found Wyatt, Paul, and Gearhart on the mess deck. Wyatt was happily scrubbing pots in the deep sink. Paul and Gearhart were finishing what looked like a nice mess of scrambled eggs and toast. My stomach rumbled a bit to remind me I hadn't stopped that over-easy on my haste to get aboard. Any of those eggs left, Mr. Paul? We left a plate on the sideboard for you, Captain. He nodded in the general direction. Bless you, Mr. Paul. You're welcome, Skipper. I swung by the toaster and dropped two before checking in with Wyatt at the sink. You doing okay, Every? Yes, sir. Feeling a bit stupid and helpless, that really got out of hand there, and I really should have done something. He hid his frustration in the soapy water. I patted him on the back of one shoulder. Hang in there. We're all getting used to the new way of things, and I'm afraid you'll get a chance to try to do better. I chuckled a little. That wasn't really funny, but more like one of those laugh-or-you'll-cry things. He bit back a laugh of his own, and I collected my eggs. By the time I'd drawn a fresh cup of coffee, the toast had popped, and I joined Mr. Paul and the chief at the table. Think we'll have any trouble with pirates this trip, Mr. Paul? No, Captain. They're not operating in this sector just now. Mostly over in the borderlands between Halpern and Sirota. Didn't stop them from mucking up breakfast, Mr. Paul. Chief Gerhardt giggled. Mr. Paul wasn't phased. Well, there's the odd pirate here and there, Skipper, as you well know. Well, of course, Mr. Paul. Any reservations about getting underway, Chief? Gerhardt looked up from her plate to make sure I was talking to her before she answered. The ship is ready to go, Captain. I'm betting my life on it, and I expect to win. She never lost the sing-songy little girl voice, but I knew she had to be nearly my age, even if she looked ten stan years younger. That's an interesting way to put it, Chief. She smiled a real smile, and until she did, I hadn't realized that it might have been the first one I'd seen on her face. My father used to say that. Probably still does. A man of certain habit is Mida. Your father's an engineer, then, Chief. Yes, Captain. Chief Engineering Officer on the Haldor Laxness. Operates out of New Mannheim in Vinitz. Well, you're a long way from home, Chief. She smiled again. Another real one. Home is where your tool chest is, Captain. I'm less than twenty meters. Mr. Paul looked surprised at that. Don't you mean your heart, Chief? She giggled. 
I confess, having an engineering chief who giggled was a little unnerving. Still, it was a delightful giggle. I think I said that, William. You said tool chest. She smiled at him with a silly grin pasted on her face. Yes. Mr. Paul looked like he was going to speak again, so I forestalled him. Course laid in, Mr. Paul. He gave up on the elusive Chief Gearhart and focused on me. Not yet, Skipper, he shrugged apologetically. I was going to do that right after breakfast. I looked at his empty plate. He looked at his empty plate. That would be now, I guess. If you'll excuse me, Skipper. I nodded and raised a cup in salute. Thread me a needle, Mr. Paul. Carry on. He looked a little startled, but gathered his dirties and racked them for the washer before heading up to the bridge in his astrogation station. I pushed my own, now empty, plate away and leaned forward over the last of my coffee. At the small tables, it brought my head close to Chief Gearhart's. She was aware of it, but didn't withdraw. I didn't turn toward her, and I spoke softly. I asked if you had any reservation about getting underway, Chief. You said the ship was ready. Do you have any reservations about the crew? She raised her face and looked at me. The soft little girl face was subsumed by firm muscle and rigid bone. The pale, watery blue eyes turned to a piercing, hard sapphire. For the first time since coming aboard, she looked me square in the face. Not anymore, Captain. The voice was as clear and strong as a mountain river, and quiet as the wind over grass. And like the shadow of a wind-driven cloud, gone. The little girl came back, and the chief giggled. I smiled into my mug and tried to breathe. Thank you, chief. Sure thing, captain. I better get on with my prep. She gathered my plate up with hers and took the whole lot to the washer. A sip of coffee helped me focus again, and I started with the basics. First, feed the crew. Excuse me, captain? Wyatt was just finishing up in the deep sink. Basics, Mr. Wyatt. Our mess schedule is a wreck. Here it is almost ten hundred. We're supposed to serve lunch at twelve. Most people just finished breakfast or will be sleeping. We're supposed to go to nav detail at fourteen hundred for a fifteen hundred pullout. We'll be at stations until what, eighteen hundred? He shook his head. More like nineteen hundred. The tug has to give us a good push to get us started since we don't have the kickers. Takes us a little longer to get going. The morning was full of surprises. Good to know, Mr. Wyatt. Thank you. Were you planning to have a pre-flight, Skipper? Pre-flight was a meeting of all the command staff to review ship status prior to going to navigation detail. I should, but we're scrimping on time. Miss Thomas needs the rest, and so do Hill and Schubert. We'll go with the seat of the pants this time and see how it goes. He was drying his hands on a side towel and grinning, leaning back against the sink. You like playing close to the edge, Skipper? <laughs> no, Mr. Wyatt, I surely do not. But sometimes close to the edge is all you got and it's better than over it. That's a good point, Skipper. What do we do about meals? You mind playing messmate for this evolution, Avery? Oh, not in the least, Captain. What would you like me to do? Do I have any boxes aboard? Boxes, Captain? I pulled up my tablet and accessed the Chandler's catalog. Bento boxes, like these. I showed him the screen. I could see him study the picture, but I had the uncanny feeling that he was actually reviewing the ship's inventory in his head as he looked at it. No, Captain, we don't. I looked at the unit codes, ordered a case, charged the ship, routed the bill to Mr. Wyatt's inbox, and marked the order for pickup. Okay, Avery, I know it's your job to order stuff, but I had it up and we need them fast. 
<laughs> You're the captain, Captain. Last time I checked, I stand on ceremony for you, not the other way around. Well, yeah, that's true to a point, but you're the guy who has to keep this pile all sorted out, and having unfamiliar fingers in the files doesn't help you. I appreciate the concern, but aren't we in a hurry, Skipper? Yes, we are. Here's what I want. It was a simple logistical problem that Mr. Wyatt grasped immediately. Truth be told, I think he knew the solution as soon as he saw the boxes. Lunch mess would be a one-can classic, since not many people would be partaking. It was mostly pro forma for the watch section and easy to clear away. Dinner would be the boxed lunches served on station. We'd done that a lot back on the Lois. Being driven by a larger schedule, she got underway when the company said move. DST worked on a different clock, and ships had a little more flexibility in their movement. I left Mr. Wyatt laying out the assembly line while I made the run to the chandlery. Should we send somebody else, Captain? Have them delivered? I paused halfway out of the mess deck. I'm in a hurry, Mr. Wyatt, and who would we send? He thought about it for three heartbeats and then shrugged. Good point, Captain. It really was only a matter of a few ticks to make it down to the chandlery and back, and going myself, I had the chance to rummage in the produce a bit. I snagged a few nice-looking pieces of fruit, a box of candy bars, and a bag of hard candies before I picked up the flat, heavy boxes. I garnered a few odd looks riding the lift back up to the dock, but if the stars on my collar provoked the looks to begin with, they also prevented comment. It's not every day you see a clipper captain acting as delivery boy, but it's not something anybody in their right mind would question. Mr. Ricks was expeditious in booking the mass to stores as I came through the lock, and if he were curious, he didn't ask any questions. I reached into the bag of hard candies and flipped him one as I went by. He caught it neatly on the fly with a thanks, skipper, and I hurried back to the mess deck. Mr. Paul was back from the bridge by then and helping Mr. Wyatt make sandwiches. I unloaded onto the other work counter and broke open the case of box flats. I held one in my hands, and the smell of the pasteboard, the texture of it, took me back almost twenty staniers. I could almost hear Cookie's voice in my head. My hands flexed in an old but unforgotten pattern, and the completed box stood in my palms. I didn't pause to admire it, but rather did it nine more times, stacking the empties on the counter until I had enough. They were easy enough to gather up and lay out for assembly line to fill. While they were finishing the sandwiches, I added fruit, candy bar, and a few hard candies to each box. I pulled a 12-pack of water from the bottom of the ready cooler and put one of those in each box as well, cracking the lid of the 11th and downing it myself in almost one go. By then, the sandwiches were done and we started the final packing. Mr. Paul looked up the line curiously. Why ten, Captain? There's only eight of us. Spoilage, Mr. Paul. Spoilage, Captain? Pirates, Mr. Paul. Oh, I see, Captain. Yes, of course. I stood looking at the boxes, and I knew I was forgetting something. It came to me very suddenly. Miss Thomas. I said it aloud. Mr. Wyatt looked to see if she were coming, but Mr. Paul looked at me. Sar? Miss Thomas, William. She's a heavy worlder. We can't feed her this. It's not enough. They looked startled. Mr. Wyatt twigged first, but Mr. Paul didn't need any further explanation. Mr. Wyatt asked, do we give her two, Skipper? How would that make you feel, Avery? You're making a lot of good points this morning, Captain. Thanks. I'm trying to make up for missing a few easy ones. Make about three extra sandwiches. Put them in one of the boxes and mark the box. Put an extra bar of chocolate, too. Extra water, Captain? I thought about it. Shook my head. Won't be room. We'll all need extra water, so maybe I can ask you to ferry a cold 12 or up to the bridge when we need it. I looked at Mr. Wyatt. 
Of course, Captain. Mr. Ricks will be here with me. He has the forward lock duty. I'm sure he'll help. I nodded. Good thinking, Mr. Wyatt. We set to with the final details, Avery making the sandwiches, William closing up the finished boxes, and stacking them in the ready cooler. I showed him Cookie's old trick of using sheet cake pans as trays. He made up two trays of five, and we made sure to put the marked box on the front so they'd be in the right tray to the bridge. The sudden lull took me by surprise. If my limited experience aboard had taught me anything, though, it was that it was probably just the calm before the storm. The chrono clicked over to 11.30, and I tried to focus. Avery, soup time. William, I've got a ship fitter crew coming in at 1300. The mess deck needs to be clear by then. They promise me they'll be done by 1400. Yo-ho-ho, skipper, I remember. I grinned. Ah, good lad. Mr. Wyatt looked a bit startled. He didn't say anything, but turned to warming a pot of soup. I was delighted to see that he'd snagged a pack of ready-baked rolls from the freezer, and he snapped them into the baking oven and set a timer. I grabbed my empty mug and headed for the coffee pot for a refill. Carry on, gentlemen. I must off to battle the bane of every captain's existence. Reports. Mr. Wyatt made a warding sign with his free hand, and Mr. Paul had the decency to laugh. I sipped the coffee and remembered one more detail. Oh, Mr. Wyatt. He looked up from the soup. Yes, skipper. Next pot of coffee? Make the grind about 20% finer, add about half again the amount of coffee in the basket, and use cold water. Plus 20, plus 50, and cold as I got, skipper. Aye, aye. As I climbed the ladder to officer country, I heard Mr. Paul volunteer to make a pot using the new formula. Billy the Buccaneer or not, I was impressed. Chapter 26, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 11th. Charlie was as good as his word and showed up at the lock with his crew promptly at 1300. Mr. Wyatt had the galley spaces cleared and secured, and Mr. Paul pinged me at 1350 to let me know they were done. I came down from the cabin to find the new table already in place and gleaming. Charlie's work gang was picking up the loose bits and policing the area for tools. Charlie himself was beaming with pride. Told you, Captain. We beat your time. Is this what you wanted? It is exactly what I wanted and more, Charlie. My compliments to you and your crew. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Captain. We'll just clear this away and get out of here. I think you might have things to do and places to go today. We do indeed, Charlie. We do indeed. I thumbed the offered work order, and he shepherded his work gang off the ship, taking the leftovers, spare parts, and trash with him. The new table was the perfect fit for the two deck-mounted flanges. Each flange held one of the two sturdy legs of one long table. A single bench ran down the length of each side, and the whole assembly bore a striking resemblance to a picnic table. It matched my fond memory of the table aboard the bad penny. It was exactly what I wanted. Mr. Paul was standing to the side, looking the table up and down. Mr. Wyatt was leaning against the sink with his arms folded across his chest and a bemused expression on his face as he looked from me to the table and back. What do you think, Mr. Paul? He glanced up at me. Fine piece of workmanship, Skipper. As nicely phrased a non-answer as I've ever heard, Mr. Paul. Thank you, Captain. I've been practicing. Mr. Wyatt? It takes a little getting used to, Captain. I nodded in agreement to that. I heard Chief Gerhardt come up behind me. Oh, good. They got it in. She looked up at me with a little girl face. Did you know that this is the original configuration, Captain? Chief? She turned back to the table and waved her arm. This is how she's supposed to be, Captain. The original plan shows one table on the two flanges. I did not know that, Chief, 
That's a good piece of information. Kind of makes you wonder why they changed it, don't it? It was the little girl voice. The question struck a lot deeper. Yes, Chief, it does. We admired for a couple of heartbeats before I roused myself to focus. As nice as it looks, people, we got cargo to haul. Mr. Wyatt, where are my cans? Latched and locked, Captain. They came up last night about twenty hundred. Excellent, Mr. Wyatt. Mr. Paul, where is my crew? Crew present or accounted for, Captain. Chief, is the ship ready for space? She is, Captain. I stuck my head out into the passage. Mr. Ricks, secure the lock for departure, if you would, please. Aye, aye, Skipper. Lock secured for departure. His voice echoed down the passage from the bow. Thank you, Mr. Ricks. I turned back to the galley and crossed to the urns. I pulled a fresh cup from the new urn and tried it. You made the spot, Mr. Paul. Yes, Captain. I followed your suggestions. Did you taste it yet, Mr. Paul? Yes, Captain. What did you think of it, Mr. Paul? Our Captain, now that's a cup of coffee. He was grinning. I think so, too, Mr. Paul. Nicely done, and thank you, Mr. Wyatt, for your able assistance here. He smiled. Most welcome, Captain. Chief Gearhart, check the installation job one last time. Does it pass inspection, Chief? The little girl smiled up at me and nodded shyly. Excellent. Well, we have a stand or so before we call navigation stations. O.D., if you'd rouse the crew and give them a chance to refresh themselves, I'll knock on Miss Thomas's door on my way up to the bridge. Aye, aye, Captain. I headed out of the galley. I took a side trip to the ready cooler. I snagged one of the extra bento boxes from the offside tray and tucked it under my arm. Expecting pirates, Captain. Mr. Paul was smiling at me. Better safe than sorry, Mr. Paul. Good planning, Skipper. Thank you, Mr. Paul. I scampered up to officer's country and stopped to knock on the first mate's door. Room service. Three heartbeats later, a slightly disheveled Miss Thomas opened the door. I offered the box lunch. A little something to tide you over till dinner, Miss Thomas. You missed lunch. She took it with an oddly shy smile and a nod of thanks. Much obliged, Captain. You're quite welcome, Miss Thomas. If you'd join me on the bridge, we'll set nafty tail at 1445. I headed up one more ladder to the bridge and took a few ticks to savor the moment. Strictly speaking, I should have been the last one entering the bridge and the first one off. A captain with more experience would trust his crew to prep the ship while he continued on with his august duties, safely ensconced in the sanctity of the cabin. I wasn't that experienced yet, and while I certainly didn't want to make the crew feel like I didn't trust them, there is such a thing as being too certain of an unknown command. Besides, this was just too darn fun. I took a tick to look aft to check out where the cans were attached. Each cylindrical can was rated at 15 metric kilotons. The tractor was rated to carry up to three of them strung together like beads. Each can had a central locking shaft that was loop on one end and hook on the other. The hook on one can attached to the hoop on the next. A special terminal fitting went into the final hook out there at the far end, and it gave us an anchor so the cans couldn't slide off. The Agamemnon's cargo latch fitted into the loop in the closest can. Each can had pads and buffer latches at three corresponding locations so that when the cargo latch was engaged, the cans were locked against each other and the ship. Not a terribly pleasing design to look at, but the functionality was unarguable. Miss Thomas was first up the ladder at 1435, and we were joined shortly by Mr. Paul, who took the systems and astrogation console. Chief Gearhart sat at engineering, and Mr. Schubert took the helm. I sensed the party was about to start, so I took my seat at the captain's chair for the very first time. There was a handy cup holder on the right side, and I slotted my half-empty mug into it. There was an air of expectancy on the bridge that I'd sensed on every pullout since that very first time on the Lois. 
I tried to channel Alice Chagone as I gave a little nod of my head to Miss Thomas. Miss Thomas used the toggle on the duty watch station to activate the ship's announcer and made the announcement. Down in the ship, I knew Mr. Ricks would be taking his position at the forward latches in case of emergency. Mr. Hill was standing by in the engineering console. He was just a local set of olfactory sensors and had orders to report anything that didn't look or especially smell right. Quite often, the smell was the early warning clue, not the look. Hot metal doesn't look very different until it's very hot, but it smells different almost right away. Chief Gearhart would be going below as soon as we were on ballistic and would be present to fire up the grav keels and sails herself. Mr. Wyatt's role was supercargo, and he was standing by in the galley, just in case. Around 1450, the tug scooted into view around the curve of the orbital and eased in close to lock onto us. They were so close I could see into the bridge and watch the flickering lights of their maneuvering thrusters over my shoulder. The tug would be our temporary engine and pilot to get us out of the orbital's local space and kick us out into the deep dark. I could see the astrogation station updating the ship's systems as the two vessels, in effect, merged into one temporarily. Data streams merged and stabilized. Mr. Paul turned to me. Tug's locked in, Captain, and is ready to assist. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Make ready for pullout, Miss Thomas. Making ready for pullout, aye, Captain. She pressed a few keys on her console and I could just see the telltale shift from red to amber to green. Locks are secured. Docking clamp interlocks are offline, Captain. Ship's board is green once. Her voice was as loud as ever, but it sounded like magic to me. Thank you, Miss Thomas. Is astrogation ready, Mr. Paul? He reviewed his screens, formally running his finger down a long list of green indicators. At the end, he nodded as if to himself. Astrogation, online and running, Captain. Board is green twice. System status when you're able, Mr. Paul. Cross-check and verify, Miss Thomas. She stepped over behind Mr. Paul and watched as he pulled over the systems and communications screen. Systems are online and running, Captain. Ship's board is green thrice. Miss Thomas returned to her position and pulled up both astrogation and systems displays. Cross-checked and verified, Captain. Ship's board is green thrice. Miss Thomas, are we ready? All ship's boards are green. We shall ready for departure at your command, Captain. Pull out in ten on my mark, Miss Thomas. I didn't pause very long in real time, I don't think, but I was hit at that very moment by the realization that I would be in command of a ship free in space. My ship, for all intents and purposes, until I returned it to dock. For the very first time in my life, ten seconds after I uttered the very next word. I don't know what feelings I had exactly. It was some kind of combination of jubilation, dread, confidence, and terror, and it exploded across my whole body. Mark. There was a certain inevitability to it. The decisions had been made. The die cast. We needed to wait out the roll to see how well we'd done. I felt a familiar clunk as the docking clamps released and the moving lift feeling for just a few heartbeats before the inertial dampers kicked in. Log departure, 2873, January 11th, 1459, Mr. Paul. Aye, aye, Captain. The tug pulled us free, and within half a stand had us well away from the confusion of shuttles, cargo, and ship traffic, and was already turning us toward the deep dark, ratcheting up the pusher to give us a good toss outward. We slowly gained velocity relative to the gravity well, and soon left the most heavily trafficked areas behind. At 1745, the tug signaled that he was ready to drop off. My compliments to the skipper for the smooth ride and fine service, Mr. Paul. Aye, aye, Captain. There was a short pause. 
Tug sends safe voyage. Next bears on you, Captain. Everybody on the bridge chuckled. Acknowledged, Mr. Paul. Acknowledged, Skipper. We still had a way to go before we could open our sails safely, but the tug cut us loose and left us coasting along like a rock from a slingshot. At 1800, Mr. Wyatt brought up the tray of boxes and Mr. Ricks a spare rack of water. There wasn't a lot of activity on the bridge as we monitored systems and made sure we were on track, so he had no trouble slipping onto the bridge, leaving a box on each console. He handed me one with a smile and slipped back off the bridge without a ripple. As the boxes were opened and examined, I caught Miss Thomas out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look at her, and she nodded once and mouthed the words, Thank you, Captain, before pulling another sandwich out of the box beside her. I just smiled, winked, and dug into my own. The sandwiches had gotten a little dry, but the fruit was good, and I set the candy bar aside for later. I wasn't much of a chocolate eater myself, but perhaps it would be handy to have before we secured. Around 1830, we finished up with dinner, such as it was, and Mr. Paul nodded to Chief Gerhardt. Captain, we'll reach safety parameter at 1845. We'll be able to set sail at that time. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Chief, I think you're up. She smiled gently and bobbed her head in acknowledgement with a quiet, Aye, aye, Captain. For the first time, I noticed that Mr. Schubert's hands were not swaddled in bandages. I felt a pang of remorse for not noticing sooner, but as he moved about the helm, it became clear that the single pad across his palm was doing quite well, and my earlier fears might indeed be chalked up to an enthusiastic candy striper. There is a point in this maneuver that's guaranteed to give nightmares to every person who's ever captained a tractor. We were outbound, certainly, but with no keel, no sail, and only maneuvering thrusters for motive power. If the sail generators failed to come online at the appropriate time, we would be in a bit of a pickle. On the other hand, we had multiple redundancies. For us to be in a real jam, they'd have to all fail. Still, we kept our fingers crossed as we approached the point where we'd find out if we were flying or if we'd just keep falling. We've passed the safety perimeter, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Signal Chief Gearhart that she may deploy keel and salesman ready. Aye, aye, Captain. Signal established. Thank you, Mr. Paul. A few ticks later, I could see the results on the display as the first sail generator spooled up and the field deployed. At 19.05, Ms. Thomas turned from her screen. Chief Gearhart reports all sail and keel generators are operating nominally. Sails and keel are deployed. My compliments to the chief, Ms. Thomas. Helm, report. Ship has steerage and answering smartly, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Schubert. Ms. Thomas, secure from navigation station. Set normal watch. First section has the duty, I believe. Aye, aye, Captain. Secure from stations and set normal watch. First section has the duty. She made the appropriate announcements to the rest of the ship. I stood up then and smiled around the bridge. Thank you, people. We should do this more often. I was a little nervous that I'd stumble on the way back down the ladder, but I didn't, in spite of the weakness in my knees and a rather pronounced lightheadedness as the reality of what had just happened sank in. As I approached the cabin, I became a bit more concerned that I might lose my dinner as the enormity of that reality chased right along behind. Then I opened the cabin door, and that huge port showed the rich, sparkled darkness of the deep dark strewn ahead of us. I stepped into the cabin and closed the door behind me so I'd have something to lean on as I drank it in. For what must have been five or six full ticks, I was washed with thoughts and fears, emotions and endorphins. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to describe it, 
that ineffable feeling that I, myself, not in the ship or part of the ship, but me, I flew outward, racing into the deep dark. No, I don't think I can ever really describe it. But I'm sure I'll never, as long as I live, forget it. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.